Welcome to Season 2, Episode 6 of Song Chronicles. Come on! Our special guest on today's episode is multi-talented singer-songwriter Nicole Atkins. Nicole grew up along Jersey Shore and now lives in East Nashville. When we spoke, she was in Sheffield, Alabama, painting a psychedelic mural on the walls of Ivy Manor Studios. Alabama's Muscle Shoals is like a home away from home for Nicole. Her label, Single Lock Records, co-founded by Ben Tanner of Alabama Shakes and John Paul White of the Civil Wars, is based in the area, and Nicole recorded her album, Italian Ice, at Muscle Shoals Sound Studio. Music and art have been Nicole's thing since childhood. She studied art at the University of North Carolina, but ended up spending more time making music in various bands and on her own. Nicole says that she basically went from burning copies of her EPs on her parents' computer to signing with Columbia Records. I see you laughing But you're laughing too loud After a well-received debut called Neptune City and a cool Letterman appearance, Nicole traveled to Sweden to record her self-released sophomore album, Slow Phaser, utilizing musical ideas stored on her iPhone. She grouped up with Single Lock for her last two releases, Goodnight Rondelie and Italian Ice. In this episode, Nicole shares stories about her Alabama visits, what it's been like adjusting to a pandemic lifestyle after 15 years of touring, and how Britt Daniels of Spoon came to appear on Italian Ice. Please enjoy this conversation with Nicole Atkins. Nice to see your face. Yeah, you too. I like your bright pink, purpley hat. Yeah, I'm painting a mural downstairs at the studio, so this hat's been on my head every day. I haven't done my hair in a while. It's good to see you. You too. We could talk about a whole bunch of things. I have a bunch of things I want to ask you, but just for people listening who may not know you yet, you are a New Jersey girl. Yes. Very much. Through and through. Through and through in every way. And and you went to North Carolina? Yeah. I went to college at University of North Carolina at Charlotte. And it was basically like my friend Trevor was like, I was like, Trevor, where are you going? And he's like, I'm going to UNCC for architecture. I'm like, cool, I'll just go there too. <laughs> I didn't know what I wanted to do. Like I knew I could draw and I knew I didn't want to like mess up my love of music with school because I was bad at school. Yeah. Yeah, but I just wanted to get out. So you did You did the art school thing? Yes. Like so many musicians have done. I know. I wish I could go to art school now because it's like now I love doing art all the time. But like back then, I just wanted to like sing in bands and go to parties and not go to school. So yeah. So would you say you were a rebellious, like were you trying to cope with life on life's terms in your own teenage way? Yeah, I guess life coping mechanisms, but also like... My, I come from like a family of party animals. Uh-huh. I think if I wanted to rebel, I would have, you know, been an honor student, <laughs> but. <laughs> yeah, that's a twist. Yeah. 
Yeah. Like, I mean, my parents definitely like, you know, pressured me and supported me like in my studies and stuff, but like, you know, having a good time was kind of paramount at my house. So fun. Yeah. It was fun when you wanted it to be fun, but when you just wanted to chill, yes, it was not fun, (laughs) but yeah, be quiet in my room, you know? So yeah. And that's, that's where the artist comes in when you want to chill. (laughs) Yeah. And I got the real New Jersey treatment when I came to your birthday party at the dive bar and we were by the pool playing cards. And I thought that was fun. It was, this is what it's like in Jersey when it just felt like the real thing. Yeah. Yeah, I was, uh, we, to people listening to this, we all played dice by the pool. It's called the Dive Motel, which looks like a place from New Jersey from the 60s. But uh, it was so much fun. It was so many random people, like people were just walking up to the table, like, hey, can I get in this dice game? We had like 20 people in it. The pot was big. Yeah, it was a good game. How did it go? It had, it was, you did it with a dollar, right? Yeah. So you have $3 in front of you and it's called LCR, left, right, center. Mm -hmm. And you roll and you'll only roll as many dice as you have dollars. And when you get an L, you pass a dollar to the left, R to the right, C to the center. You get a dot, you keep it. And you're never out, even when you have no money in front of you. So you're like rooting for your neighbors. Didn't you win a hand? I can't remember. I think you won. One hand. I just remembered almost everyone at the table was a smoker, but me. (laughs) Sorry. Yeah. That's okay. That's how it goes sometimes. Yeah. You're like, this is super New Jersey now. (laughs) I really enjoyed that. And I felt very grateful to be there at your birthday. Oh, thank you. So I knew you had a record called Neptune City, but I didn't know that you grew up in a place called Neptune. Yeah. Everybody's like, wow, that's such a pretty name for a place. And I was like, it's a real place and it's not that pretty. Wow, yeah, it's like, a, where do you live? I live in Neptune City. Bend. Yeah, I got that a lot in college. Where are you from? Uh, Neptune City, you know, I'm from Mars. That was your first record on Columbia? My second, we put an EP out with them first and then and then a record. Yes, so you started off with a major record company. I did, and uh you know, I put my records out myself before that, Mm -hmm. you know, I would just go and record like six or nine song EPs and just spend hours burning copies at my parents' house. Like I remember, remember CD baby Uh where it was like a thousand CDs for blah, blah, blah. Like couldn't afford it. But I was like zip, zip, zip at my parents' computer like all day long and hand decorating them. So when I started getting courted by labels, like it was pretty exciting, you know, like even like the indie labels. But when I was in the office at Columbia and saw, I saw Barbara Streisand's picture on the wall and and Pink Floyd's picture on the wall. And I was like, duh, I want to try this, (laughs) you know? Yeah. And they're both my favorite. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. There's a big distance between those two artists for sure. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. If you combine them together, you you get something amazing. You know, it's interesting because you really have been doing what you're doing now. It's not like you went straight into a major deal and then I don't know what to do now that I don't have major, you know, major support, major people paying for everything. Yeah. Yeah. So you're just going right back to what you've always done, which is this cottage industry, really. Just the doing it, you know, like before I wrote songs, I always played music. You know, I sang in bars and restaurants on the Jersey Shore because that's like the thing. And um, Mm -hmm. that was always my job, Mm -hmm. like singing in bars and painting murals in people's houses. Like I've been basically doing the same job since I was six. Mm -hmm. So yeah, nothing much has changed. But yeah, when I got signed to Columbia and, you know, at the end of it, 
they um, wanted to do a second record. Yeah. And then it was just like, I just didn't know who I was working with anymore. You know, it was like Rick Rubin and, mm-hmm. you know, this A&R person that we just did not see eye to eye from the get go and sending in like 50 songs mm-hmm. and not hearing back for like six months. And it's like, I want to work like I've always been working in music. And if I have to sit home and not work, that makes me crazy. So like leaving wasn't very hard for me. I was just like, how do we get out of this deal? Because I want to go work, you know. But I know it can be really hard on people where they start out like that. But I mean, I was almost 30 when I got signed, mm-hmm. you know, like I've been just, I don't know, playing in bars and being in a van yeah, and like making stuff with whoever I want is just my dream life. So, well, I just have to just go off and be a Nicole Atkins fan for a minute, <laughs> just because I am such a fan. Uh, I mean, <laughs> you're one of my favorite singers ever. Thanks. And whenever I think. Oh, Louise, you're not taking care of your voice. And if you want to be a singer, you have to just own it. You have to take care of yourself. So I always wonder, I wonder if Nicole takes care of her voice, if she's just born like that. (laughs) Oh, God, that's like, I don't at all. It's the worst. You're just given this gift. Yeah. And I know that like, there's going to come a day where I'm like, uh, you know, I took it for granted. I don't know. I know I need to take better care of my voice. And I smoke and I eat cheese and I drink coffee. And, you know, like before I go on stage, my warm up is basically just screaming into a pillow and being like, okay, it works. Let's go do this. Really? Yeah. Wow. That's amazing. But you know what? I feel like the times that have been hardest on my voice was in the beginning. And I think that uh, your stress levels have a lot to do with your voice and dating the wrong person. Mm hmm will wreak havoc on your voice. Drinking alcohol will wreak havoc on your voice. So that, that I gave up alcohol and I gave up shitty dudes. Mm-hmm. So since then, I haven't lost my voice at all. That's yeah. That's good advice. Listen up, everybody. That's great advice. So I wanted to ask you how you made this connection with Single Lock. Like, how did you come to Muscle Shoals in your travels? So um, my husband, Ryan, and I... When he's from Scotland. And so when he moved over to New Jersey, he was like, let's move somewhere where we can make some friends together. And so we thought about Nashville and um, moved down to Nashville. It was nice and cheap. And uh, I got a gig offer to play at this place called um, 1016 in Muscle Shoals. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I've never done much touring in the South. And uh, I went down and I played and it was this tiny little room in Muscle Shoals. And you know, there's not much down here, but it's, it's chill. It's, you know, it's cool. And then the second time I went back, the guy that ran the venue asked me about my record and I let him hear it. And he's like, who's putting this out? And I, you know, I was like, I don't know yet. And he told me that John Paul White had a record label with Ben Tanner from the Alabama Shakes here in Florence. And they heard it and they flew to Nashville and talked to me and you know, it just seemed like a great thing to do with them. They were mm-hmm. really enthusiastic. And yeah, I've been working with them since. I did Goodnight Ronda Lee, um, put it out with them. And then Ben and I co-produced Italian Ice. And I just, you know, it's nice being at a small company because it's like, hey, I want to do this. And they're like, okay, you know. And there's not a million levels of bureaucracy to and politics to play. It's just talking to one or two people. Right. But that said, they don't have much money either. So, you know. 
we all we all put in basically everything we have back into this, mm-hmm. which is fine. You just said here. Are you in Florence right now? Yes, I'm in. I'm actually. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. This is not my studio. Michael Wright owns this studio in Sheffield, Alabama, and um, I was like, "Can I sit at your control desk so I can seem like a baller?" <laughs> <laughs> I'm actually downstairs in the, there's a wine vault downstairs and I'm painting like pink elephants and uh, women with beehives. And, like I'm doing this complete psychedelic wine vault painting downstairs. I love that. Yeah. I keep, I keep crisscrossing in time. Yeah. I like, I like crisscrossing in time. First of all, the records you just mentioned, Goodnight Rhonda Lee and Italian Ice. And what was the one before Goodnight Rhonda Lee? Before Goodnight Rhonda Lee was Slow Phaser. So I basically self-released that through 30 Tigers. And why do you say self-released through 30 Tigers? 30 Tigers is more of like record label services group. I see. So they'll like help you set it up and you can use their distribution, but you're pretty much doing everything yourself. Got it. Got it. And and then you have a little more reach because they're used to doing it. Yeah. I mean, they're they're very good at Americana, and that was a prog disco record I made, so <laughs> it probably was not the right fit. But Yeah, I love all the records. I love them, too. And this last one, the players were amazing. All of it's just so well done. Thanks. Plus, I'm excited because I got a song on one of your albums. <laughs> yeah, I love that song, too. I love it, too. That was a special song. That was um, a song about my friend Terry that passed away. That was, like, that week. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. With Chris Seafried. That was fun writing with him, the two of us. Yeah, it was so easy. We were there for like an hour. (laughs) Yeah, he makes it fun. And we were all on our game and having fun and enjoying it. We were on point. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I'll give you a tour of this place. Really cool. You're listening to Nicole Atkins, live from Florence, Alabama. I'm looking at a beautiful chandelier and a very nice ceiling, too. Are you there to record or to paint? Yeah, since we're not touring, I've been been painting like a wild woman. That's wonderful. Yeah, that's something to talk about, actually, how these side gigs or side enterprises, you know, how they feed in and how it keeps your muse alive. Because, you know, you could burn out just doing the same thing over and over again. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. I love having a, uh, I just, I I love having lots of things to do all the time. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, it's good for my ADD. And uh, I always thought that like painting and music were very separated for me. And when I started writing songs and touring and recording, I just stopped painting. But I think too that I, and I think this goes back into songwriting. I I always thought I was, again, school, stay out of school, kids. (laughs) Like going to school for painting and illustration, like I would always compare myself to people and I'd be like, well, you know, I'm not as good as this person or this person. So like, why am I doing this? If I can't be like amazing at this, the thing is with art, it's not figuring out how to be amazing at it. It's figuring out how to really enjoy it, you know? So it's like, you don't have to, you know, know how to like draw a portrait of somebody. You just have to find some material to work with and a way to paint that makes you really happy doing it. And that's the same with songwriting, Mm -hmm. you know, like the comparing what you're doing to other people, like will always make everything you make probably fail. You know, you have to just remember why you started writing to begin with. It was because it was fun, you know. Yeah. And and get away from that constant need to have applause from other people in order to keep going, like really to give it to yourself. 
Yeah. Like I'm even noticing downstairs, like when I'm, I'm painting this mural and I'm like doing these like beatnik monkeys that are snapping, mm-hmm. just like when I do something that like eases me, I'll be like, ha, ha. <laughs> and like my husband keeps turning around. He's helping me like fill in just like big patches of it with paint. And he's just like happy with that. I'm like, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's great. You know? <laughs> yeah. He's a crew, crew person. So he's unemployed too right now. <laughs> That's awesome. And I love that he's helping you with it. That's that's beautiful. And so, yeah, so when we spoke about doing this interview, you were in Nashville, so I didn't know that you were, you were traveling. But you were talking about how you've been touring for 15 years. And yeah. we talked a little bit about how much of a screech to a halt it is having this pandemic and not being able to do that. It's definitely, I think me and almost all of our friends had to learn how to like live. Mm-hmm. I was like, wow, I've never spent time in my house or tended to my yard or, you know, I see my husband maybe two months out of the whole year, every year, because we don't tour together. So that was kind of the silver lining of it. It's just like, oh, wow, I like you. <laughs> I like our stuff. Like do stuff with it, you know? So it's, it's been so different, but I've enjoyed it. You know, I just keep remembering that like, this is temporary, you know, all the times that I'd gone tour for like a year straight with no breaks Mm -hmm. until like you have like a crying thing for like, you know, at the end of a seven week tour with no breaks and you just wake up at 6 PM and you can't stop crying till like 2 AM Mm because you don't know what time zone you're in. You know, I keep remembering that and it's like, Hey, remember that enjoy this time. Just chill. Give yourself permission to chill because things will pick back up again and you can't. Yeah, that's a really good way of looking at things. So I didn't realize that you were touring for such long periods of time. And and I imagine that your tours haven't been like super cushy because you're an independent artist. And so, I mean, you probably have a pretty small crew, right? And band members... Your crew is probably interchangeable with like front of house and band members and moving stuff. Yeah, if we even have front of house sometimes, things are, yeah, things are tight. We do a lot of it ourselves. Yeah. You know, I always say that uh, my comedy shtick has gotten really good because we've never had crew. So when things break on stage, you got to fill up the time. 15 years of that, pretty sharp. Okay, so if everything had broken down right now and there was a crowd, what would you say in this moment? Right now? Yeah, I just put you on the spot. Everything's broken. What are you going to say? Yeah, I would say, I'd say, Mm -hmm. all right, there's a sound of a saw going on right now. I'm not hearing it. I'm hearing it. And I would say to the crowd when all the sound stuff quits, okay, yeah, let's go downstairs and get this person. You know, <laughs> how many people want to get in a fight with a construction guy right now? Right. It's so loud. <laughs> yeah, I got it. I got your drift. Yeah, I was once in the studio with a pneumatic drill, like right at the downbeat outside. And we all just, you know, the best musicians in the world just sitting there tapping their feet, waiting for three minutes of silence. <laughs> I mean, you're in L.A. You probably have a lot of planes flying overhead, too, right? Or helicopters. Yeah. A lot of planes. I'm surprised there hasn't been one while we've been on the phone talking or on Zoom. Yeah, so I want to hear again, you told me the story, but I love the story so much about how you smashed it on the David Letterman show. Oh, God. Yeah, the first time we were on Letterman, we, so my record was supposed to come out in like, I think July 
And this was on Halloween or the night before Halloween. Mm -hmm. And Rick Rubin started working there and was like, oh, cool. I'm going to take your record off of the schedule two weeks before it was supposed to come out. So like, just kind of like fucked everything up. And um, can I curse on here? Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. And so by the time we did Letterman, it was okay, guys. This is what we've been waiting for. This is crazy. That That's like thing like I never thought about. You know, I thought I'd put out a few records and waitress and go on tour sometimes. And and I didn't think I'd be like on a major label on the David Letterman show with a string section. You know, I was painting olive trees in Italian restaurants and singing at the Irish pub and on academic probation forever. So, yeah, it was really exciting. I, I said to my band, I was like, let's pretend we're going to die right after this. And then like Dave came up and wouldn't let go of my hand and, you know, asked me to go get a steak. And it's, I, I just I love that. And I miss that, that like old school entertainment where like music was important mm-hmm. as entertainment. And it was like that back then, like even even in 2008, it was like that. Yes. And so if people want to see that, just go on YouTube and look up Nicole Atkins and David Letterman. You can see that performance, which is great. Yeah. There's a couple. We were on a couple times, but I would check out the one that's the way it is. Mm -hmm. And how did it come to be having strings on that? Did you request that? Yeah. Well, I mean, the album is really string heavy. So, Mm -hmm. you know, I think there's strings on every song. Back in the day when they would let you bring a lot of people on stage. God. Could you imagine like, like even just recording in a studio with the entire, with everybody there at the same time, you know? You're talking about the way it used to be a long time ago. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. One take, two takes maybe. Yeah. Yell at the bass player, cut it again. Yeah, the whole, you know. Right. The producer's looking at their watch going, oh God, we can't go into overtime. I just think that would be like... I don't know if I had a dying wish, it would just be to like have one day to do that. Just burn money and have fun. Yeah. Well, imagine working with Frank Sinatra who'd say, "Eh, not feeling it today, guys. Yeah. Come back tomorrow. That's what I'm saying. And apparently he wouldn't feel good if he wasn't wearing the right thing. They had it so good. They all had it so good. I don't feel good if I'm not wearing the right thing in the studio. Like, I wouldn't wear this to go record. You wouldn't or you would? No, I wouldn't. I'm wearing a turtleneck right now and black jeans. I'd wear it to paint. Mm-hmm. But in the studio, I like to put a suit on. I like to feel like, you know, I'm going to work. Mm-hmm. You know, it makes me feel like I have my shit together and I'm in the moment. Right. When you say a suit, is that kind of like a business suit? Like a, a, a jacket and pants and some loafers and a, and a, and a blouse. Uh-huh. Very cool. A lady suit. Yeah. <laughs> and you wear it well. Thanks. So you, yeah, yeah, you're you're a snazzy dresser. Snazzy's a, the wrong word, but yeah, but you know, like snazzy's cool. Snazzy's a great word. Choice, classic, vintage things. Keep it straight. Yeah. So you you're doing Patreon, and you really have it down. Like you've done it in this way where you've supported your friends, right? Yeah. And you put together this package of uh, introducing your fans to not just what you're doing at the moment, but look, check out my friend. They're putting out this record. And can you talk more about it? Cause it's, it's beautiful what you're doing and I love how you're going about it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I like to think of it like my Patreon is like a clubhouse for like my like little art family tree, mm-hmm. you know? And if they like my, my stuff, it means, you know, that, and they're, and they're paying to be on Patreon. They're, they're pretty like hardcore music fans, mm-hmm. you know? So the people that are on my Patreon, they're like, 
in record clubs and you know like they have like a vinyl discussion group and they'll always ask me to like suggest songs for them to talk about in their group mm -hmm. and so i like to make playlists and you know do little variety shows since lockdown we've been doing some like video variety shows taped from home and featuring like a bunch of my different friends music or art or short films and stuff like that yeah and then you took that on to it's like peewee's playhouse <laughs> but yeah it would it would be more fun to to have you introducing and peewee a little more melancholy i don't know it's just the feminine touch i guess i know i do love peewee oh <laughs> yeah rather than cartoon land you also did this on on youtube for a while you were doing a live thing on youtube which was very weird because you didn't have an audience that was weird yeah you're in this like super quiet like vacuum i was in my attic you know with my my neighbor it did the rush documentary uh-huh yeah so it, it was right when the pandemic started and I was about to go on tour with my band. We were headed to Austin and we had to like basically turn the band around and come home. And then my husband got back from New Zealand with, uh, he was out with this girl singer named Wiseblood. It's really amazing. And uh, we were like, what are we going to do? And I felt bad because my band like works in a tobacco store making like seven bucks an hour selling cigs. And like, that's a, an essential worker's job. And so I started playing from my attic you know, just to like make money for all of us. Cause I would like my band to be my band when <laughs> this is all said and done. I don't want them to forget about me. And uh, my grandfather passed away the second week of the pandemic. And it was just seeing my parents and seeing that they knew how to use YouTube in the comments and all of the fans that had met them maybe at like an Asbury Park or a New York show. Mm -hmm. They were like, oh my God, hey Dutch and Connie, I ate one of your sandwich. And like seeing the interaction just let me know like, oh, wait a second. I'm not alone up here, right in the, you know, camera right there. That's all my people. So I just like could imagine in my head that they were all there, like mm -hmm. hanging out, you know, at the end of it, like it just definitely reminds you like, man, I really love doing this, you know? That's a great visual. It's interesting too, because you didn't have people there, but you imagined they were there. And I have often done the opposite when there's a lot of people there imagining that maybe I'm just in a living room and there's just a few people there. See, that would freak me out. Like a few people, I get scared. But if it's a lot of people, it's just like, oh, they all become this nexus of energy. Instead of like, if there's like five people in a living room, I'm like, how was your day? What was your day like? I wonder what they ate today. Like all these thoughts are like, ah, but yeah, it's, um, it's funny. Like I almost equate crowds to, I, I think of this one moment when I was first quitting drinking, I was at a group show like this bit, we did the last waltz at, um, the Capitol theater and it was all these different bands and most of them I'm friends with and some of them I'm not, but like, um, it was just cause I hadn't met them yet, you know? So it was like a really cool event, mm -hmm. but everybody's drinking. And I'm just like, Oh, and I said to my friend Katie, I was like, She's like, what's going on? I'm like, I just wish I didn't feel so weird. And she was like, that's the cool part. Lean into the weird. Like it really stuck with me, that saying, lean into it, the weird. So now like if I do a show and it's like a little bit, if it's not, you know, super packed, I just make the show all about them, like individually, like trying to like, you know, put them into, into the show basically. And like once everybody's involved, 
it makes me just think like this isn't about me it's about us less scary yeah well the scary is a little bit important because you want that excitement you don't want it to be you know so comfortable that you're not really putting that excitement into it yeah there's a difference between that that's the good type of nervousness but yeah i don't really have that anymore the bad the bad anxiety no i always have the nervousness i don't know if i've ever had bad anxiety getting on stage i think i have bad anxiety in life you know doing normal things like yeah washing dishes to a dinner party yeah but on stage nothing's ever wrong even if shit starts to break you know like that's i don't know when things go wrong i'm like this is an opportunity to try and make make something really special out of a shitty moment. <laughs> mm. Yeah. Well, it sounds like you have become adept at living normal life as well as being on stage. Yeah. Those stairs are short. <laughs> when I say normal, what is normal? Nothing is normal. There is no normal for sure. But yeah, but it's it's a work in progress all the time. New things are coming at you and and all of us. Totally. Yeah. And I mean, what do you mean by like a normal life? as opposed to like being sequestered away in my studio and no one ever sees my eyes. I I was talking about the fact that you said that you weren't home very much that you saw your husband two months out of the year and that Oh, uh, got you. You know, you became acclimated to being on the road all the time even though the road was hard, even though it wasn't cushy at all. And and that it seemed like you really thrived on the work, you know. Yeah. I mean, I, and I love, I love traveling and I love meeting people. Mm -hmm. I like being somewhere new all the time, you know? Mm -hmm. So sometimes it was a slog. Like most of the time it was a slog, you know, the van breaks down in Lockerbie, Scotland, and we have to, you know, use a rental car, go get two rental cars to get to the gig, go right on stage, get a new van somehow in the middle of nowhere. But I don't know. It's always worked out. It's always a good it's always a good story after the fact. Yeah, attitude is everything. Yeah, you got to have like a you got to stay up. Right. And I remember like we had this one tour in Europe where like everything that could have gone wrong went wrong. You know, money went missing, the van broke, we had to strip it and leave it. Remember that band 10cc? I got their van, which was beautiful and awesome, but it was also like 4 grand out of my budget. So I was like, cool, I'm playing 30 shows in 30 days to go 4 grand into debt because I was just going to break even. And then our guitar player's wife got breast cancer. He had to go home. And so the opening act learned the songs. And it was just the whole time we were like, it's okay. It's okay. You know, like, like there's a traffic jam. We're late. We break out jump ropes and we're just like, do to do. And then the neighbor's car starts being like, can I see the jump rope? But then at the end of the tour, when I got home, I was like, falling and my husband was like it's okay you deserve this big cry and I felt really good that I didn't lose my shit and bring everybody down when when like the universe was trying to bring us down in every way possible we didn't let it because we had a job to do and the job is you know bring some joy to people yeah (laughs) you got character Thanks, Louise. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, as opposed to the divas who are complaining, you know, come on already, where's my... (laughs) Yeah, where's my vegan restaurant and coffee shop next to the venue? (laughs) Exactly. Like, shut up. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, completely. Well, will you talk about Muscle Shoals a bit more? Because, you know, I have a bit of history there. My father 
made a record there in 73. Yeah. And and it's some of those same musicians are like still around. Yeah. David Hood was just here the other day and uh I told him we were doing this podcast and he said that your dad came to the studio and, and recorded there. That's fantastic. 73 was like the primetime year over at Muscle Shoals Sound. Yeah, so so since you're right there in the in the thick of it, can you tell people about Muscle Shoals Sound? I mean, some people may have seen the documentary Muscle Shoals. If you haven't seen it, it's just one of the best. It's awesome. Best documentaries. It really is. And it's a really, really important place in American history in terms of recording and, and music. So you know a lot about this. So I would like you to tell your story about it. Well, I hadn't seen that documentary and um, I, I did, but I got introduced to all of, you know, the guys from the Swampers and Spooner Oldham that played on everything and Aretha Franklin's band, like this group of like kids that when they were 16, they just backed up all of these people from all different genres and like, Mm -hmm. you know, just made so many legendary records that you're like, that was you? That was, what? You know, and I got asked to sing at Spooner Oldham's birthday party. Mm-hmm. It was his 75th birthday. Um, his daughter, Roxanne, asked me to do it. And so I came down and Dan Penn was there and uh, the Blind Boys of Alabama, Spooner, David, Kelvin Holly from, uh, he was Little Richard's guitar player for like 40 years. And then Neil Young's band and Peggy Young and just all these like heavies. And they were just so nice and so cool. Like they just look like your dad or like, mm-hmm. you know, like your family's friends, but super Southern. And like we had dinner and cornbread and, you know, sang. And afterwards I was sharing the dressing room with um, Charlie Hodges from Al Green's band. And um, he was like, I was showing him, I draw pet portraits and he was, oh my God, check out my dog. I was like, I'll draw him. He's like, let's get a selfie. And I was like, this is so cool. And uh, then the next week, my label was like, hey, we talked to those guys and they want to make a record with you. And I was like, oh, cool. And then I watched the Muscle Shoals documentary and I'm so glad I did not watch it before I went to meet and play with them because, you know, I knew the gist, but I like Traffic, Steve Winwood's band Traffic was like my number one band. When I got John Barleycorn Must Die, I was like, I want to make records that sound like this, you know? And uh, I didn't know that David Hood was in Traffic in 72. And so I was just like, I'm so glad I didn't know that because I probably would have gotten shy, you know? And uh, that like Greg Allman, Cher, Rod Stewart, Paul Simon, Mavis Staples or the Staples singers. And, you know, they all still like do sessions every day. Bonnie Raitt's guitar player was here the other day. He lives here and he's got a really loud voice. I'm down in the basement painting this mural and he's like, so section two, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, oh my God, he could talk really loud. And Calvin comes over and we smoke cigarettes and take a break. And I'm just like, become friends with all those guys now. They were on my record and I brought some of my friends from like Jim from the Bad Seeds and Binky Griptite from Sharon Jones and the Dap Kings because I just wanted to combine like all my friends, you know, and these older guys were my new friends and these less older guys were my old friends. If David Hood told me like a week after, he's like, you know, I do sessions every day and I go in, I get my chart. I play and I go home and hang out with my dogs and I don't think about it. He's like, but this felt like we were a band. And like, we all felt like we were a band. Like we'd go back to like the river house we were staying at and just watch YouTube videos of like young David playing in traffic. And we're like, whoa. Yeah. That, that's so cool. I, and I love that 
he and his wife are still there and that you know a lot of a lot of these studios people may not know but a lot of these studios that are now iconic you know that word is a bit overused but they they really do have a place in history they do it's pretty hard for them to survive just on music so what a lot of them have done as a survival strategy is give tours to people during the day which i guess is all at a halt now because of the pandemic so they're still doing like i think they can do 15 people a day okay which is like not enough for them to survive. So a lot of them are selling merch online. So if you listen to this, like uh-huh. Muscle Shoals Sound has killer merch. Right. Really cool t-shirts and posters and stuff. You should buy one. Yes. And there's a little bit of competition. There's also fame studios. Yeah. You know, but everybody really is supporting one another in the area as a community yeah all of the studios here are friends yeah you know and that's what i love too like musicians now i find like they can be so competitive and when we were talking to spooner and david like we'd have break for dinner and they would just tell us all these great stories that weren't like name drop and it's just their life Mm -hmm. you know and and i was so like the wrecking crew were you guys you know in competition with them. And they're like, no, we were fans. We love what they were doing. Mm-hmm. You know, so that's what there needs to be more of now. And I think, you know, writing and recording and being friends with these older people, and that's, you know, passing down traditions that are really important to music that is about inspiration and camaraderie. And that's why I think, you know, you can record at home and make something great, but there's nothing for me that like beats the right group of people in the right place together for a period of time making something. Right. And then it's why we call it a record. It's a record of something that occurred. Yeah, it's a record of a time. Yeah, that definitely did occur. And I don't know if you've spent much time in Memphis, you know, another place full of iconic studios. Yeah, I actually used to date a guy that um, he was actually the best boyfriend I ever had. Um, Matt. Other other than my husband, Matt Rosfang, he um, was running Sun Studio when we were together. And so that was just, you know, that whole city is really cool when a city's built around music. Yeah. Like, that's the thing. And like being from Asbury Park, that was, you know, there was so much time where Asbury Park was just desolate and burnt out and gross. And the one thing that kept the fire burning was, you know, the stone pony and music and the musical history and tourists. Yeah. And music does grow through the cracks in the concrete like nothing else, you know? Yeah. It's like people with Alzheimer's, you know, they still like melodies bring them back. Melodies help them remember, you know? I didn't know that. Yeah. It's not amazing. It is amazing. So where can people find you, you know, if they want to go to your Patreon or they want to learn more about you or get your record? Yeah, I think my website would be the best for it because it's got all of everything that I'm doing is on there. Instagram and Patreon and Mm -hmm. Twitter and all that. That's all on there. So it's NicoleAtkins.com. And there's no H in my name. And it's Atkins like the diet. Although I had a kid the other day say to me, what's the Atkins diet? And I was like, oh no, I'm old. (laughs) Yeah. It was basically, you could eat as much bacon and cheese, according to my dad, as you wanted. It was a great diet. No, I I feel like I kind of do do that diet just because I eat like a 12-year-old boy on the boardwalk. Like, I don't think I want to do that diet. It's terrible. (laughs) I just, I don't know why I have it in my head. Maybe it was at the Terragram, but was there some connection with Spoon and Brit? 
Did you do some kind of a duet? Yeah. So I've known Brit. I met him when I was touring opening for the Black Keys. And um, I've always been a big, big, big fan. Mm-hmm. I think Brit and Spoon are the best American band, you know, just consistency and just a great rock band, you know? So we did a benefit show a couple of years ago and I wanted to write a song with him. And I was like, we should write a song together. Mm-hmm. And he's like, Oh, I don't know how good I'd be at that. And I was like, shut up on your face. And his girlfriend was there, Jen, and we just like hung out. She's a, a little Italian lady. And so we just had a little Italian lady hang. And uh, she was like, you know, Britt, you should hit her up and write a song with her. She's nice. So he called me and we got together. And it was funny because it's like, I wanted to like write a song like his. And he's like, I want to write a song like yours. But uh, when he asked me where I was going to record, I told him, you know, I'm going to Muscle Shoals Sound and, you know, David and Spooner are going to be in it and Jim and Binky and Moose and uh, Mackenzie. And he was like, wow, that sounds like a dream. And I was like, you want to come? He's like, sure. So he flew down for a day and played guitar. And I needed somebody to sing the song Captain with me. And so he sang it with me. And he's just been such a great support whenever I'm feeling like, oh, I don't know what I'm doing. He's like, you're awesome. I'm like, okay. It's a great song too. It's such a great record. Thanks. Yeah, I wrote that song very last minute. I went to um, my friend Carl's house, from uh, Carl Brummel from My Morning Jacket that lives in Nashville. Mm-hmm. And uh, we were working on another song. And then I just had this idea in my phone. You know, we wrote Captain in like a half an hour. And I thought maybe it wouldn't be on the album because it was, it was too easy. And uh, everybody that heard the demo was like, this is the song, you know, so... You just never know. So let me ask you about that, the demo. What do you do to quote unquote demo your songs before you would bring it to the band, the cats? So usually I just record them into my phone. Yeah, I'll just sing a melody and then put together some words and either put it over guitar or piano in my phone. And then I'll get the band together or just a bunch of musicians I might be hanging out with. Like if I'm in New York, I've got friends there and play it for them and We'll just flesh it out. And I usually hear arrangements. Writing for me isn't just the words and the melody. I, I kind of write like a producer, you know, so I have the string parts and the bass line and, you know, mm-hmm. kick out like 10 or 12 songs in the studio one day to just lay them down. And then it goes from there. So you don't spend a lot of time toiling over pre-production with multi-layered recorded demos? No, I used to. And um I think you can get the same results just by planning, you know? Mm-hmm. So you keep it at a sketch and then you save all that freshness for when the band is recording. Yeah. And the sketches are, you know, they're detailed. Mm-hmm. There will be like, you know, the first song on Italian Ice is called AM Gold. And I had the the melody for that in my head for six years. Mm-hmm. And I knew that it was the opener of the album. I had no idea what it was about and musically it was all there. So I played it for them. I explained what I wanted them to do. And then when they started doing it, I realized that the vocal melody wasn't the vocal melody. It was actually the guitar melody. And I had to sing over that like a counter. Mm-hmm. So in, I, I like recording live and being in the moment because I feel like when there's all these people around, and especially this recording, it was all like, holy crap. I've got the A-list coming in and I'm the only person that hasn't been in a documentary in this room. (laughs) And uh, what am I doing? There's still time. There's still time. Yeah. But they all felt the same though. Like they were all like, man, I saw who's all coming and like, I hope I'm on my game, you know? So I think when 
it's like performing at a show. You have to be on, yeah. you know? And I think that when you're toiling over demos by yourself, you can really get lost in your head and stuck, you know? So I, I mm -hmm. really like being around people. That's great. It's like you're throwing an event and you're making it a special event for everyone. Yeah. You're organizing the people. Yeah. It's just like a well-curated party. Bringing your friends together. With, with activities. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And also, I do want to talk about John Paul White because he's been so supportive and he is one of the owners of Single Lock. Yeah. When I came down there, he so graciously gave me and my friends, you know, we had come from Blackbird and then, then had come back again because we were going to do a Gawkany King Foundation event there, retreat that the, the lockdown put on indefinite hold. Yeah, the uh, retreat. Yeah. Yeah. He was just so gracious, bringing us through everywhere. And will you talk a little bit about him? If people don't know, yeah. I feel like everybody should know, but there's always people listening here who are learning about things they didn't know. And he, he was in the Civil Wars, which made fantastic records. Yeah, they were great. And now he's been a solo artist and he's just an amazing singer and songwriter. And he's an incredible singer. I love that. Like, I'm like, yeah, the owner of my label also has the best voice ever. Yeah. <laughs> you know, usually it's like the owner of your label, some creepy guy, lawyer in a suit. <laughs> uh, not John Paul. Like, and he really does a lot for his community. Yeah. You know, and I, I love that. I love that. Like when you come to Muscle Shoals, like, John Paul or Ben Tanner or Reed Watson, like they just can't wait to show you around and show you everything. And that's like how I feel when I'm home in Asbury Park. And so, like, say you came to Asbury Park, I'd be like, your dance card would be full <laughs> of like things to like show you. You know, John Paul White, his music is so, the way he does his music business is so tied into giving back to his community as well. And I, I love that. Is he from Florence? I think he's from Louisiana mm -hmm. and like he moved here with his family a while back. And, uh, you know, I don't know much about John Paul. Like he's a quiet guy, but I do know that he loves wrestling and he loves uh, hair metal. Mm -hmm. So I'm waiting for some side projects. <laughs> Hair metal, you would not think that listening to his music. No, I mean, like, I grew up loving hair metal, too, because, like, you know, I was seven years old. It was the dawn of MTV, and my babysitter was a teenager and my neighbor. So she let me, like, be their mascot. So I was, oh, my God, Skid Row, look at that hair. I think the thing was, for a young girl, like, hair metal was so cool because they were just, like, they looked like beautiful Barbie dolls, but they were guys. Yeah, and also, I just want to mention Caleb Elliott, our friend Caleb. Ah. Uh, He's so great. Yeah. Caleb Elliott's a uh, singer-songwriter and cellist from Muscle Shoals, or also from Louisiana, that ended up in Muscle Shoals. And uh, he reminds me of J.J. Kale. Like, his songs are just so chill and beautiful. Yeah. And I met him before, maybe before meeting you, actually. And then later, he and I had done some things in Louisiana, and then somehow... Really? We put it together that you two had... Wild. Yeah, because I remember the first time I went to Lafayette in a writing retreat, I 
was doing some writing with Caleb and there was a lot of accordion. He said, oh, I want to write a song without a bunch of accordion on it. <laughs> what are we, a polka band? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Get out of here. And um, I remember sitting in his car outside the radio station and playing me all these ideas and he kept saying that it was great in Muscle Shoals. And for me, it seemed like Mars. He said, you should really come. There's great musicians. It is like Mars. He's great musicians. And I was like, yeah. I, I'm going to go to Alabama from LA. And, you know, that seemed so scary and remote at the time. And yeah. a few years later, it made sense. Yeah. I think the great thing about a place like Alabama, I mean, because I live in Nashville and I've barely recorded in Nashville. I just come down here or next week I'm going to Memphis. Mm -hmm. to um, We're re-recording Italian Ice just with strings and piano and making a film of it. Where are you doing it? Um, this great new studio there called uh, Memphis Magnetic. Ah. And it looks like the 60s Capitol Room. It's so, it's so cool. And, uh, but the thing is rents are cheaper. There's less people. Mm -hmm. And so there's almost less frequencies in the air that you can really like do it affordably and like have some space for your thoughts you know, with, you know, true side players, not like working with a bunch of artists that they want to do their own thing, but they're more so here to help your vision happen. You know, like here in Alabama, it's like the musicians, they're like egoless. They know they're badasses, but they're not going to show you their Grammy. Right. You know, like, and I love that. They don't have their shit hanging on the walls, you know, whereas like, you know, you go into like Nashville or New York and it's like, here's all the shit I did. And it's like, this is your living room. <laughs> like, it's not your office. Come on. Right? Right. Yeah. Well, yeah, I think you have to raise people right to know where to hang your Grammy. <laughs> yeah. Well, this is just the best. And I always get so happy talking to you. I feel so inspired. and, and I know. I love seeing you. Yeah. I'm so jealous of your weather right now. Oh, yeah. I know you hate it. It's too much nice weather. Well, no, I, <laughs> I, I don't want to sound ungrateful. I hate it. I was telling Nicole on the phone that sometimes, especially with the pandemic, that when the sun is constantly out, I feel guilty about the fact that I'm not being more productive. I feel like I need a break. I've been in my house so long. I've been editing. I've been editing a video. I've been editing the podcast. I've, you know, you do a lot. You know, I think you and I are very similar. Like, I always feel bad about like, just I'm going to watch a TV show. And it's like, you're a piece of shit. <laughs> like, and, you know, I think we have to remember that it's okay. I was talking to my friend Valerie June, who is a singer songwriter. And she tours her butt off and works her ass off. And she's like, hey, if I'm in bed for three extra hours, I don't feel guilty at all. I love it. I just relish it. And I was just, I wish I could be like that. Now it's like, okay, yeah, I'm going to be like that, you know? But yeah, we we all deserve, you know, like being an artist, there's no clocking out. There's no, oh, it's the weekend. It's like every day is the weekend and every day is Monday, you know? Right. So you have to allow yourself to chill. Right. Yeah. And if you have any tips on how to explain that to people, just fill me in because they say, why do you work all the time? Why are you always on your computer? And, you know, I guess the thing is justifying, hey, I'm a person. It's not a dysfunction. Okay. I do it because I love it. And I really get a lot of joy out of the product and the creating. And yeah. Yeah. But some people will judge it as you're a workaholic, you're dysfunctional, you don't know how to do things like go out in the sunshine and take a break. Mm -hmm. I think if anybody said that to me, I'd just say, hey, you got any better plans? Because if you do, I'll do them. But if you don't, I'm doing this. <laughs> 
Right. You know? Yeah. My little trick is to work on a Sunday because I have a guilt free doing nothing on a Monday. Yeah. Because Mondays freak me out. The phone rings, the gardeners, they come and make all this noise and yeah. I'd be so stressed in my bed. So yeah, all these little tricks. I get excited for Mondays because I'm like, ooh, all the business people are back to work. What you got for me? And they're like, nothing. And I'm like, <laughs> I hate you. <laughs> Well, it's so nice to see you, and I'm really delighted that we could have this conversation. Yeah, you too. Do you want to see the mural that I'm painting? I really do. Before we go, hold on one second. And, and maybe take like a screenshot so I can... Uh... I'll send you some pictures. Okay. Okay, you ready? Well, I'll show you the studio too real fast. This is an old building in Sheffield. Nice. Beautiful floors. Sherry. <laughs> Hi. Beautiful piano. Nice. And then, uh, wow, what a great place. There's a Wurlitzer. Yeah. Drum room. Oh, wow. That's interesting. Very live drum room. Yeah. Ceramic tiling on the floor. Yeah. Interesting. It's nice and crispy. And windows. Here's a, I painted these. These are paintings of the swampers that I did for them. That's fantastic. David. Thanks. Look at you go, girl. Yeah. Jimmy Johnson. Hawkins. So, and then upstairs, the control room with the chandelier. And then upstairs are bedrooms. So if you're banned from out of town, you can stay here. Mm -hmm. The owner, Michael. Michael, say hi to Louise. Hi. What's happening? Hi, Michael. How are you doing? Good to see you. It almost looks like a, like an, a classical Georgian or Victorian type house, you know? Yeah. And from outside, it looks like a castle. It's kind of cool. Oh. Mm. And, uh, down in the basement. And we're going down in the basement, everybody. There's a vocal booth. There you go. And then there's a B room. So I have a question. There were drums upstairs. Yeah. Do the drums tie into down here? Are there tie lines from upstairs to down there? The whole place is wired. That's what I have to do. But this is like serious. So I guess this is what Michael used to do for a living, building some stuff. And then... This is where I'm at. Okay, that's beautiful. I'm looking at Nicole's mural. That's incredible. Yeah, so the dog is like biting onto the elephant's tail to not get sucked up by the aliens. Brian's working on the mushrooms and there's beatnik monkeys. So good. That's actually my bass player because he's a redhead with chops and glasses. That is such a beatnik monkey. And then there's like pebbles run it. And then there's a uh, badger listening to a dog play the piano. Oh, the mouse is incredible. You're really good. This is glitter. <laughs> this is what happens when they say, uh, do whatever you want, Nicole. It never happens. So it's been really fun. Multi-talented woman. She can really paint an amazing mural. That's so good. It's really pop art, you know? And what's the name of the studio? Uh, Ivy Manor. Ivy Manor. Okay. Yeah, and it's in Sheffield. It's like 10 minutes from Florence and Muscle Shoals. Well, I don't want to take up more of your time, but I thank you so much for doing this. So good to see you. Yeah, you too. Thank you for having me. This was a great interview. So fun. All right. Bye. Bye. You've been listening to episode six of Song Chronicles season two. I want to thank my guest, singer-songwriter Nicole Atkins, for this fun and colorful conversation. Join us next time for a conversation with another terrific Nashville singer-songwriter, Aaron Lee Tasjan. I love his new album. You've got to check it out. When I woke up today, yesterday was in On Song Chronicles, you'll hear the behind-the-scenes stories told by music makers and music industry insiders themselves. 
If you're enjoying the podcast, please leave a review on Apple, YouTube, Spotify, Podbean, or wherever you stream. Thanks for listening, and see you next time. I'm your host and producer, Louise Goffin. Oh,